Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Restoration Radio's presentation of Francis Watch, the debut show, brought to you by Novus Ordo Watch. I'm your host, Justin Soder. Are you wondering what has happened to the Roman Catholic Church? Are you confused, shocked, alarmed at what Francis has been saying recently? Then log on to NovusOrdoWatch.org for traditional Catholic news and information with insightful commentary and razor-sharp analysis. Since 2002, Novus Ordo Watch has been exposing the Vatican II Church and its false popes by comparing and contrasting their new religion with the true religion, the modernist Novus Ordo teachings with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org, that's NovusOrdoWatch.org, and see why Francis is not a true pope and how the modernist Vatican II sect differs from the Catholic Church, NovusOrdoWatch.org. Well, tonight, we welcome back the Restoration Radio Network, His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Your Excellency and Father, thanks for being with us again. Nice to Thank be here. Thank you for having us. Well, it has been 111 days since we were last on the air um, with the last Bergolian outburst of, I don't believe in a Catholic God, there is no Catholic God. And the situation, I think, has certainly gotten far worse. Uh, you know, we were talking pre-show, and you know, the sheer volume of blasphemy and disgrace and Marxism and just pure stupidity that has spewed forth from the mouth of, of, of Francis in just two and a half months is really unreal. It seems like every single day we're getting emails or news breaks about just one more thing to throw onto this pool of modernist sewage that this man lives in. So... Your Excellency Father, before we get into the pile of this news, I think I'd like to start off by giving you each a couple of minutes just to maybe kind of give us a 30,000-foot view of your thoughts on everything that have tra- everything that's, has transpired and come out since we were last on the air and just kind of how it's hit you both. I mean, has anything surprised you or is this what you expected? Well, I mean, it's been a tremendous volume of stuff, and in fact, it's been overwhelming to try to track. Um, I uh, try to bookmark uh, all of his his, uh, statements every day, and uh, it's always something. It's very, very difficult to uh, keep up with. It seems to um, come back to many of the same themes, though, his his undercutting of uh, Catholic uh, doctrine is undercutting of Catholic moral teaching. Uh, the the shots that he takes at uh, conservatives, at uh, 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 traditionalists, and it's just this this um, whole um, whole list, this whole array of uh, uh, ideas, which uh, ultimately I think embody the uh, false teachings of Vatican II that he's he's trying trying to implement. So it's it's uh, quite a bit, and it's overwhelming. Your Excellency? Yes, I agree. I think that all of the themes that we saw and underlined in previous shows and even the first show that we did on his election uh, have just been uh, uh, prolonged and, and emphasized. I, I don't think we're seeing anything new. Uh, uh, certainly the, what Father said, the, the degradation of the papacy, the uh, the absolute hatred uh, hatred for traditionalists and anybody that that wants to um, uh, hold on to tradition uh, he seems obsessed with this and he hands out insults and and calls us heretics by calling us uh, neo pelagians uh, you know he he's just a fire breathing dragon on that uh, and also the degradation of Catholic doctrine uh, he's a thoroughgoing modernist. Uh, he, he's a textbook modernist on doctrine, dogma. Um, 
there are many, many uh, themes uh, that he has. We'll go through all of them, but uh, he's just developing. It's like theme and variations, and and uh, the symphony is continuing. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> well, you know, we're going to move forward here with the show, and I think we're going to do it in the spirit of exactly what he wants. Uh, in sometime in November, I believe it was in the middle of November. Bergoglio said, well, it's good to criticize me, so we're going to oblige him in this, correct? I mean, let's, let's go ahead and move forward, right? Yes, we're yes, obedient also, to the Holy Father. <laughs> he, also just, he also said today in one of his statements that the Internet is a gift uh, from God for dialogue, so, you know, he may even want to call in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, by all means, well, you know, let's dialogue. Let's dialogue by all means. All right, so let's start off with the, the subject of, of Catholic faith, doctrine, and dogma. Uh, we've, had a, you know, we've had a lot of, of news topics in that, and I think the one that hit me the most was uh, the uh, let's, not, uh, let's not reduce the faith to a moralistic ideology. Uh, <laughs> that, that came up from the Catholic News Agency on October the 17th. What, was the, uh, what are your thoughts on this, Vierge Monsignor Father? Yeah, ideology for him means for us the Catholic faith. That is, unchangeable dogmas that have been revealed by God and proposed by the infallible magisterium of the Catholic Church. He calls that ideology, and he condemns it. Moralistic means that we actually believe in the moral law, the natural law and the divine positive law, the Ten Commandments, the commandments of the Church, that there are things that we can do and can't do according to this law, and if we violate the moral law, we go to hell. That, for him, is moralism. And, and so moralistic ideology means that, for example, we might say that someone who commits birth control is going to hell, or that someone who commits sodomy, if he dies impenitent, is going to hell. That's, that's definitely anathema in his book. And his, his, his selection of the term... Uh, is a um, uh, it's a term that's sort of uh, um, picked specifically to uh, degrade the concept of clear th- uh, theological thinking. Uh, the the it's, it, it's uh, uh, a word that's meant to be insulting. If you say that, well, that something is purely ideology, that means that it it, it has no. Uh, it, it's just some sort of a, almost like a political discourse, and it has uh, no roots or no effect in reality. But this is the kind of language that he uses, you know. And, and um, also the idea of moralistic, uh, that uh, as if the idea that, that something is um, in conformity with morality uh, that as if this is bad, if you say something that's that's a moralistic statement uh, in liberal discourse, that is uh, you're considered to be slamming something, condemning something. So uh, you know, on both counts. But this is what you get. Yeah. Around the same time, we we had a an article that came out by Sandro Magister, Father, and, and you wrote a. You wrote an article on FatherChicada.com that was, that was referencing the, tran- uh, the excuse me the the Francis transformation, um, and it, you know this was more this gibberish that the magisterium that destroys its own foundations and uh, sort of you know did, trying to destroy more of the underpinnings of the traditional understanding of the magisterium. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah, well, it, uh, it, this it, this seems to be a constant theme with him that. Um, uh, 
he had the idea there's no such thing as doctrinal security um, when it uh, when it comes to uh, faith uh, and when it comes to moral teachings he expressed the idea that these are a, a, a multitude of uh, you know picky little doctrines and in effect exalted the idea of the decision of the individual conscience well what happens there is faith and um, uh, faith and morality go out the window because he he relativizes everything uh, by by framing it in uh, in these terms so uh, and no matter what you say you can't have any certitude because uh, faith is just simply um, ideology you you can't be certain about doctrine and the, the, the uh, moral questions and moral decisions are basically uh, something for the individual conscience. So everything uh, goes out the window. So that was his, his um, idea uh, in many of his, his uh, statements uh, back in October that uh, Sandra Magister talked about and then I commented on. And this, this theme uh, is one that, uh, uh, you know, that continues continues uh, he continues to uh, relativize things yeah, faith for him is um, he called it in one place an experience many places an experience uh, a personal experience of god that is thoroughly modernistic faith in the catholic teaching is an ascent of the intellect to the dogmas that are revealed by god and proposed by the infallible magisterium of the church it is a purely intellectual thing. It is not some meeting with God or anything like that. It is, it is a purely intellectual thing under the influence of divine grace. He also said that faith is a journey. Again, getting away from the attachment of faith to dogma and making it an experience and some sort of a, you know, a, a walking tour. Uh, and where everything is relativized there he is gradually and very efficaciously breaking down whatever is left of the dogmatic edifice of the catholic church in um, uh, in fact uh, uh today that's why i say it's so hard to keep up with uh today i guess is the is communications day in the novus ordo church and so he issued a a statement uh, about what a wonderful thing this was. And he was talking in the statement about dialogue. And he says the following, to dialogue means to believe that the other has something worthwhile to say and to entertain his or her point of view and perspective. Now get this, engaging in dialogue does not mean renouncing our own ideas and traditions, but the claim that they alone are valid and absolute. Repeat, you know, that, that we renounce the claim that uh, our ideas and traditions alone are valid or absolute. You might as well close everything down. Right. And what about uh, what we read in St. Mark, that uh, they, the apostles are to teach the gospel to all nations, and those who do not believe shall be condemned. Now, how does that fit in with uh, saying that our, our ideas are not absolute? Who's right there? Is it Bergoglio or our Lord Jesus Christ? So, well, I would certainly think he believes he's right. Any other way to say it? I mean, and it's I would, all relative, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, sure. 
but it it undercuts all of this stuff undercuts the um, whole understanding of, of of faith. All of it does, mm-hmm. and you can't uh, make any statements about um, dogma or anything. In fact, the uh, Italian president uh, said uh, to uh, Bergoglio when he went to uh, visit the Italian president at the, I think, at the Curinale Palace, which is their White House, thank you for having impressed us for the absence of any dogmatism by leaving room for doubt. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what he says is not the, 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 these things that we're pointing out are not just say to the contest on the radio pointing these things out, but other people realize this as well. Mm-hmm. And they think it's a great mm-hmm. idea. No dogma. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think uh, this goes yeah, back to what program. His Excellency is. Right. I think this goes back to what His Excellency has been saying for a long time. And if you go back to our uh, our last season series from the pulpit uh, with, with the Vatican II series, was that this ultimate goal is this big dogmaless religion. And I think Bergoglio is certainly, you know, he is, he is sort of the manifestation of this entire idea. I would assume you both would agree with that. Oh, absolutely. He is like the the dogmaless monster. Yeah. So, moving into the end of this 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 one bracket here, I think this is probably the most egre well, not probably. It is the most egregious thing that I have heard from Bergoglio his entire time in Rome, and I'm going to I'm going to set this one up for Bishop Sanborn because I think this this response deserves his uh his commentary first on this and uh, Bergoglio made a statement on the, the 20th of December, and it was questioning Our Lady's um, belief in the uh, the divine plan of redemption, that perhaps she had some doubts. And his quote was, perhaps Our Lady had the desire to say, lies, I was deceived. Meaning, when she looked at the cross and Our Lord hanging on the cross in his most most terrible crucifixion, that she somehow doubted the plan, and she believed that our Lord had lied to her. So, Your Excellency, I'll hide under my desk here and wait for your response. Well, it's blasphemy against the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, in many respects, uh, and against her divine Son as well, for these reasons. Uh, First of all, uh, it is not impossible that Our Lady could have been uh, tempted by the devil, as our Lord was. But in in our Lord's case, uh, he the temptation got nowhere. It was like tempting a rock. Uh, there was, it just got nowhere. It had no traction. Also in Our Lady, because of her fullness of grace and her vocation to be the Mother of God and the Corredentrix uh, uh, w- together with our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that, such a temptation would have gotten nowhere. So that means that, and there's no evidence that she was tempted. That means that he is actually uh, suggesting that her temptation, her desire, or this possible desire, would have come from an ignorance, an error, concerning our Lord's mission. Because who told her about all of these things except our Lord? Who told her uh, all of these supposed lies? except our Lord Jesus Christ. Where else mm. would she have heard these things that are supposed lies now? I mean, this is blasphemy to, to, to that this suggestion could get anywhere in her mind. I mean, first of all, that the suggestion could even come from her mind. 
the only place such a suggestion could come from is the devil, and and it would have gotten nowhere in her. But to 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 speculate that she had this this doubt that perhaps my son is is a big fake, and and uh, that the angel was a liar to me, and that I've been deceived, and that all of the prophets of the Old Testament are all liars and deceivers. And this whole thing that we adhere to is one big lie. That's a blasphemy, because that means that in her there would be error and ignorance concerning the the most important things that concern our salvation. All of Catholic theology and many statements of popes say that, that she offered her son in the same uh, spirit that her son offered himself. That's the precise reason why she is co-redemptrix, because she partook in that very spirit of sacrifice that he had, which made his sacrifice valid and true. That's, that was the, 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 the agony of the garden. He offered himself a, as a victim for sin. She had that same attitude. Uh, and and uh, it, it's just when you think about the ramifications of what he said. Uh, it, it, is, it is pure blasphemy against the mother of God and against our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I have to say about it. Well, you indeed, there's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing more yeah. to add. I, I mean, <laughs> no. That, uh, <laughs> no, there really uh, isn't. Uh, that says it all. That one more thing. I think it is proof positive to me that the man does not have the Catholic faith. He does not have the virtue of faith, that supernatural virtue, which uh, leads us to thoughts of piety and, and thoughts of respect and reverence toward the sacred persons of the Trinity and all of the saints of heaven. I mean, to know who could come up with this? What, what sort of mind could come up with a, such a thought? except one that is stripped and devoid of the Catholic faith. That's the only thing I will add. I think that was, yeah, Your Excellency, that was something that kind of hit me as I thought, you know, where does this come from? I mean, why, yeah. what would possess somebody to say something like this? I mean, it, just, it, it just came out of left field. I mean, what, what, I mean, did he get up one morning and that's what he wanted to talk about? I, just, I, I no mean, idea. could you imagine could you... reading that in the glories of Mary of St. Alphonsus Liguori? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine no, that. I mean, sure. We have to compare this horror to true Catholicism. And, and then you Just, see the contrast, and it's, it's appalling and horrifying. Truly is. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Francis Watch, our inaugural episode here on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I am joined this evening by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and also Father Anthony Chicada. And we are discussing the last two and a half months that, uh, of events that have, have transpired since we were last on the air back in uh, uh, early October, October the 4th to be exact. And uh, let's go ahead and move in to Catholic morality, the, the, the areas that, have, that, have, uh, that he's touched on in, in the realm of Catholic morality. Uh, the first thing that I noticed here uh, is the, the desire to breathe new life into Cardinal Bernardine and his contested legacy, that the idea that you know, the church has to be more reflective of him, that his, his role or his, his ideas are the role for the future of the American church. And maybe uh, for some of our listeners who aren't aware of who <laughs> Cardinal Bernardine is, um, 
you could maybe inform them who he is before you talk about why uh, well, Francis is comparing to him. Bernardin was uh, one of the worst of the worst of the Paul VI bishops. He started, uh, I forget exactly where he started out, I think somewhere in the uh, U.S. Uh, Conference of Bishops uh, bureaucracy and got a reputation as being a, a terrible liberal and modernist there. And eventually he ended up as Archbishop of Cincinnati, uh, where he did many terrible things, and Cardinal Archbishop of Chicago. Uh, he was known as a uh, liberal and, and uh, a modernist, and what he tried to do is, in effect, underline, uh, undermine the uh, pro-life movement uh, in the United States by uh, blurring the ideas on... on um, blurring the condemnation of, of uh, uh, abortion and making it just sort of part of a spectrum of other uh, issues, not taking care of old people uh, very well, not having social health insurance. And he called this the seamless garment uh, ethic of, of life. And he, uh, this was something that the uh, real modernists um, uh, very much got into because it took them away from uh, questions touching directly on the sixth and ninth commandment, and it made everything sort of vague and uh, out in the out in the ether. So what happened is that um, Bernadin was um, uh, identified with blurring the lines on these particular issues. So uh, what? Uh, you see now in Bergoglio and what commentators have observed already is his his different uh, comments about say abortion for instance that he does the same thing as uh, as Bernadette he blurs it into some sort of a, a larger context and in effect um, you know equates it with um, uh, not taking care of the poor and uh, not being nice to immigrants so there, there's this, this uh, blurring of Catholic morality, and that's the Bernardin legacy. And the commentators tell us that um, he has, that Bergoglio has gone, uh, gone back to that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the next story here that we, that we move into is um, Bergoglio's celebration of the democracy of the church here by asking for lay input on the, the synod moral questions. Apparently, the uh, the the council of uh, bishops in the united states and uh, has been given a questionnaire to send out to their local parishes about seeking the faithful's input on their views on contraception gay marriage and divorce and i don't think it takes a genius to wager a guess at what their their input is going to be but uh what do you think about this move of now involving the laity and seeking their input on on already defined catholic dogma uh, excuse me catholic doctrine you want to handle that, Bishop Sanvor? <laughs> uh, it's all in St. Pius X's encyclical, Pascendi, that dogma is something, condemning modernism, that, uh, that dogma is something that comes up from the people, from the lower ranks of the church, and that there is a, uh, uh, the church moves in dogma, and people uh, in one century might feel one way about a dogma, but then they might change, or or things might come up as, as time goes on. And uh, so you have to constantly be, you know, have your ear to the, to the lay people to see how the Spirit is moving them concerning certain issues. So it's an abandonment of the teaching role of the Catholic Church, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, 
they become in the modernist system merely collectors, uh, stat, uh, collectors of statistics, and then they they decide that this is how God is speaking to us, and and then they they move ahead with with those decisions. Um, the uh, I mean, if you look at I don't know how they're going to poll all the people that don't come to church, but if you just look at baptized Catholics, most baptized Catholics are heretics. Uh, they they do not believe in transubstantiation. They do believe in in birth control, artificial birth control. All of the polls say the same thing. You see these enormous numbers that uh, and appalling numbers of people who have lost the faith. <coughs> and you know, are these the people that are going to decide what the Catholic Church should profess as its dogmas? Uh, you know it, the uh, but even even if everyone were kneeling on, on his knees uh, w- with the rosaries in his hand and everyone were perfectly orthodox, you do not find the 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 dogma to teach from from the <coughs> from the lay people. They are the ones that are should be listening to the church teaching. Uh, we all have to listen to the church teaching, including bishops and priests, and even the pope himself has to listen to the church teaching. Uh, and uh, that's that's the power that is given to the hierarchy by our Lord Jesus Christ. And that power is what makes the Catholic Church the supernatural institution that it is. Uh, if that is abandoned, uh, it, you, then it just becomes like the Anglican Church or any other kind of false religion. The other point to be made is that already um, Vatican II has, has done this mischief, um, in, uh, with regard to uh, members of the laity, especially on moral questions, there was a, a poll in, in 2011 uh, that um, was entitled Trends and Sources of Moral Authority. And the question was, who should have the final say about what is right or wrong in the Catholic Church, church leaders, individuals, or both? So um, you get such statistics that uh, but the issues were divorce and remarriage, abortion, sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, and contraception. Okay, so who should have the um, uh, final say for moral authority? Uh, the forty-seven uh, percent of Catholics said that individuals should have it when it comes to uh, divorce and remarriage. Fifty-two uh, percent when it comes to abortion. Uh, sex outside of marriage, 53%. Homosexuality, 57%. Contraception, 66%. That individuals should have it. Uh, as regards church leaders, uh, the same questions, um, the same issues, 20% of Catholics said church leaders should uh, have the final say in divorce and remarriage, 19% of abortion, 16% sex outside of marriage, uh, homosexuality, 16%, and 10% for contraception. Then there's, there's uh, also statistics, um, those who say that both should have an idea. But when you have, uh, uh, in uh, most cases, more than the majority of Catholics saying that uh, individuals should decide all these moral issues, uh, you see what Vatican II has really done. And it's it's game over again. They've destroyed the idea of the teaching authority of the church uh, when it comes to morals. So this is one more degradation of the papacy, degradation of the hierarchy, degradation of dogma. 
it is, it is uh, he has a plan and a program, and he, he's pursuing it with great vigor. Uh, each time he opens his mouth or does anything significant, there, there, there is another wall that collapses. I can't say that I'm really surprised, Your Excellency, Your Father. I mean, when you know, we had last month, or actually, no, this is this is back in October when you know Bergoglio tells them, well, you should follow your conscience and determine what you think is right and wrong, and we all have our own path. So, you know, if your path is the acceptance of gay marriage, well, then so be it. I found it interesting that um, and there was a there's an article that came out in Virate um, Chelli, uh, it was around the, the 7th of of, uh, of November where the the Illinois legislature approved of gay marriage citing Francis's comments uh, there were there were two comments uh, the, the the speaker of the house the Illinois uh, the Illinois House of Representatives Michael Madigan who says he's a catholic said he used the pope he used the pope's words to articulate his own reasons for supporting the bill he said that uh, previously he had been criticized for not pushing hard enough to rally support for the bill but he found that uh, Francis's words were very inspiring and uh, the uh, the state representative Linda Chapa Lavia, uh, she's a Democrat. She said she spent the summer undecided, but voted for the bill on Tuesday, telling the Tribune, "quote As a Catholic follower of Jesus and the Pope, Pope Francis, I am clear that our Catholic religious doctrine has as has at its core love, compassion, and justice for all people." So here we have, you know, words have consequences, right? Oh, indeed, and, and the, the ambiguous words have uh, consequences, and he. Uh, you see in those different statements, he uh, hints uh, in one direction, and people pick up the hints, and then he de-emphasizes um, and, and blurs Catholic teaching on other points. Uh, something just came up, um, you know, there was the pro-life march in um, uh, Washington yesterday, and so uh, Francis sent a tweet to them, and here's what he said. I enjoy, or I join the March for Life in Washington with my prayers. May God help us respect all life, especially the most vulnerable. So there's no specific mention there of the horrible crime of abortion. He could be talking about, uh, you know, the, the poor not getting a um, uh, sufficient amount of food or something like that. So you see that, that, that uh, on one hand, there is this, this uh, blurring of, of uh, individual uh, moral issues and uh, suggestion of uh, uh, the opposite of things, opposite of Catholic teaching, on the other hand. Your Excellency, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think Father Chicada did that very well. Uh, Okay. No, I All think right. We should just, probably move. We have a lot to cover. So. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Just, just one point, Your Excellency. Um, I'm, I'm getting kind of a. I, I can barely hear you on the phone. All right, can you, can you try to talk into the, 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 uh, the mic a little bit better? I'm. Fix that right now. That's, that's much better. That's okay. much better. All right. Okay. okay. So. Bringing us into more of the Catholic morality in general, we have, uh, we, we have the end of. In November, we have the, the pastoral waffling on abortion in the apostolic exhortation, the Evangelii Gaudium, noted by commentators. And uh, I will give, I'll give both of you a chance to talk about that as well. Yes. Well, basically, it's more of the same. Uh, that, mm -hmm. um, uh, we're, uh, he puts this in the context, he puts, puts abortion in the context of other, um, other social issues. And uh, so he can... Um, 
de-emphasize sins of uh, uh, commission uh, that are undertaken by individuals by talking about uh, sort of social sins of omission. And that's how it works. So it's, it's simply more of the same. It's more of the same. Mm-hmm. That's what you uh, end up with. And then on the other hand, you have him, um, you know, recently again uh, condemning the idea of legalism and priests. That, that um, uh, and uh, I mean, we were talking about this today, Your Excellency, how that was a, a term of opprobrium of, of uh, condemnation in the 1960s to be called a legalist when uh, it came to a uh, doctrinal or a moral question. I was called it many, many times. I remember it distinctly. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so that, that so brings we... us eventually to his insults, too, but we won't talk about them right now. No, no, just... <laughs> now, um, now, no, now we have to move into his insults on marriage and the, you know, okay. the sanctity of marriage. Um, and we're discussing here, this, this, was a, this was a news story that came out uh, just shortly after our, our program back in October where uh, this, this Bishop's Synod is going to be uh, discussing three possible paths for married divorcees. And, and I think this is, um, this is something that's kind of impounded throughout last summer as well. This seems to keep this seems to keep popping up. You know, what are we going to do with these people? You know, we can't you know we can't treat them badly. You know, we can't shun them. And it's an interesting quote here. The problem, Francis said, quote, cannot be reduced merely to a matter of who can receive communion or not, because to pose the question in these terms does not enable an understanding of the real problem. It is a serious problem regarding the church's responsibilities towards families living in this situation. Unquote. But he doesn't say what the ch- he doesn't say anything yeah, really. That, other that's than, the part. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, the problem is that you have people living in sin, like Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII, going and receiving Holy Communion. That's the problem. You have the you know people fil- living in dirt and filth, the dirt and filth of adultery, going and receiving the Blessed Sacrament of the altar. That's the problem. You know, his statement just talks around that whole problem. And that is a sacrilege for people who are living in sin to go and receive the Blessed Sacrament. It is also a public uh, abuse on the part of the clergy of the Blessed Sacrament of the altar. And they commit mortal sins of sacrilege by distributing communion to those people. It is also a an insult to the institution of marriage that you can go and and pick out a new wife, and and uh, then also approach the sacraments as if you're right with God. It would be like giving Holy Communion to David and Bathsheba. I mean, it it, it is a uh, it 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 is an absolutely revolting thought, and and it offends the everything. It offends the Blessed Sacrament. It offends the Sacrament of Matrimony. It, it offends the very integrity of the church's doctrine concerning the indissolubility of marriage. What about all of those people who lived their lives alone for so many decades because their wife left them or their husband left them, and they lived their lives alone and went to their graves alone out of, out of respect for the, the fact that marriage is indissoluble, and now they're going to give Holy Communion to the people who went and lived in filth like Henry VIII and various other dirty people? Is that what they're going to do? I think that's what, I'm sure that's what you know, they want to do. Uh, I mean, yes. uh, there was, 
there was in November, you know, Bergoglio said he wants to make second marriage sacraments, you know, a very key issue, and he wants to make annulments more user-friendly. Now, how on earth could annulments get more user-friendly? I mean, we had, you know, we, you know, we, you know, we had annulments being rubber stamped in the States. <laughs> rubber stamped. I, I, I think there would be a way of handing them out in bulk at Sam's, but that's the only one that I can think of. <laughs> yes, but it is just, so easy. You can get it it's practically on demand. I mean, it's annulments practically on demand. They gave out 35,000 annulments last year in this country alone, uh, as opposed to the 90 annulments that they gave out worldwide in 1939. Nine zero. Worldwide, they gave out 35,000, but that's down. Things are looking up because that's down from the 50 or 55,000 that they used to give out. So maybe they're getting more conservative, and you know, or maybe there's fewer marriages. (laughs) Maybe there's fewer marriages. People just don't. That or people just don't care anymore. (laughs) Who cares? You know. Sure, there's a lot of that. So they. so, uh, I mean, to say more user-friendly, that, that, what kind of world are these people living in? I mean, it, it, user-friendly. It's, it's all you have to do is apply and get it. And uh, yeah. you, they can, uh, there was, uh, years ago, I remember when I was a young priest, there was a diocesan official in a diocese near New York who said, there is no ma- marriage that I cannot annul. Yeah, I remember that one, too. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no mar- he was the uh, you know he was the person in charge of it. There's no marriage that I cannot annul. They can find anything. Now user friendly, I mean, and you know as if there's not enough annulments, <laughs> we're going to hand out more right. annulments. Uh, and, and those annulments just destroy people's lives. You know, people yes, find people. out in the mail from the diocesan, the, the diocesan uh, tribunal that, well, as a matter of fact, you were never married. I mean, you get a letter in the mail. I mean, that's what it, it, it becomes. I mean, it's not even as, I would say, respectful as a divorce court. I mean, in the divorce court, at least there's something to prove. Uh, that, <laughs> you can, that the mere uh, suggestion that, well, I didn't know what I was doing or we were young or some sort of stupid thing like that gets you this annulment and, and people uh, uh, just find out, well, they were never married. Uh, and, I think, uh, uh, Your Excellency, going back to your your, uh, your Vatican II series, um, you know, you, you, were, you were citing some of the excuses that were given that, that you know, uh, Failure to achieve psychological compatibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I always yeah. found that one interesting. You know, fa- yes. failure to achieve a lasting bond. <laughs> you know? yes. and you, yes. you know, and you made the comment. You know, at what part of your marriage did you not think at some point in time that you two were psychologically <laughs> incompatible? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. So. Every marriage has its has its ups and downs, and uh, but when the door is locked, you you have to work out your problems. But if a door is open whereby you can step out of the marriage through an annulment, uh, then people take that door. And an annulment is actually worse than a divorce because a divorce says at least there was a marriage. An annulment says there was never anything here. It was all bogus mm-hmm. and phony. Mm-hmm. You know? And so imagine how the kids feel. Yeah. Right. Sure. Know, it, it, it's, right. A, it's like a crime. 
so so moving on here with this this marriage in the Senate, it seems like these issues are going to be very very much central to this entire meeting. And there was uh, there's an article from uh, Vatican Insider back on the 16th of December. Uh, there there was referencing the apostolic exhortation that we spoke about, and we'll speak about it in just a few minutes. And Bergoglio was asked a few poignant questions about about his view of what they want to talk about, and they the pastoral choices, excuse me, bold pastoral choices re- regarding the sacraments for married and divorce, uh, or excuse me, divorce and remarried. They specifically asked him, "What were you referring to? You know, you talked about." prudent changes, and he says, quote, when I speak of prudence, I do not think of it in terms of an attitude that paralyzes, but as the virtue of a leader. Prudence is the virtue of government, and so is boldness. One must govern with boldness and prudence. I spoke about baptism and communion as spiritual food that helps one go on. It must be, or excuse me, it is to be considered a remedy and not a prize. We must try to facilitate, facilitate people's faith rather than to control it. Last year in Argentina, I condemned the attitude of some priests who did not baptize the children of unmarried mothers. This is a sick mentality, unquote. What's your well, comment on that? Again, he's, he's talking around it, uh, and he's setting up all the theology of approving of David and Bathsheba coming to communion. I mean, he's saying that, you know, this is a healing thing. This is a medicine you take in order to, you know, try to stop your adultery. Uh, and he's Setting up all of the theology for that, all of the logic is right there. You can see it. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they go down the route that uh, you can, you know, uh, you can come right up to the uh, to the uh, woman minister that is giving out communion and, and get your wafer host and uh, and feel good about it. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Ger- I don't know if you, this might be a good time to bring this up, but the German bishops they originally said we're going to do this. We're going to give communion to uh, divorce and remarried. Then Mueller, who is the head of the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, they call it, uh, he said, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. So then they pulled back. Well, then uh, Bergoglio made uh, some comments at the end of November in favor of it. Uh, oh, he said, oh, the, the uh, what is it, the, the, uh, the Curia is not an inquisition. I think he said something like that. Is that right, Father? Yeah, they're not. It's uh, not. To, uh, it's not an inquisition. They're not supposed to be inspectors checking things out. They're right. supposed to assist uh, bishops throughout the world in their pastoral ministry. Yes, so that, that was. That I was think in statement. December he said that. Yes. Yeah. Then a few yeah. days later, December 29th, the German bishops, uh, Freiburg in particular, but the German bishops said, "We're going to go ahead with this." So do you see, uh, to me, I think the whole thing was scripted. I think it was the German bishops were told, you know, make this bold move. Mueller was told to shake his, his finger and say, no, no, no. And then, uh, then he, uh, Bergoglio came in with his script and, uh, to say, well, the Curia, you know, he's, that's not the, uh, the, the uh, they're not inquisitors. And then the reason that the German bishops gave why they're going to go ahead with it is, is this. The curia is not the pope, and so therefore, the again uh, another you know more damage is done to the papacy and to the teaching authority of the church, whatever's left of it, and that is that the curia is not speaking for the pope. That that you know the curia you can just thumb your nose at the curia, 
And all this has transpired. That was December 29th that they made that announcement. Here it mm-hmm. is, January 23rd. There is not a single peep out of Bergoglio that this was a misuse of authority or, or in any way a, an excess or in, an impropriety. And, and therefore his silence can be taken as a consent that you can defy the congregation for the doctrine of the faith, uh, of which supposedly the Pope is the head, uh, and, and get away with it, that thereby transferring power to the bishops, that, that it becomes an Episcopal church, whereby bishops can decide what they want to do, and, and Rome you know, just sort of looks and, and you know, uh, just takes it all in. This is the, the type of papacy that was desired by the Febronians in the late 18th century, a papacy merely of a sort of referee, uh, inspection in the sense of uh, looking over things and uh, just making sure everything's running in an oiled way and intervening only if there's some big problem in a diocese. Uh, that that this is this is the program of the modernists, it's the program of the liberals and all of the enemies of the church. He is fulfilling all of these desires, and it's as old uh, as as George Washington. This stuff, and uh, and it should be noted at this point that uh, he uh, Bergoglio uh, did make statements to this uh, effect before that the doctrinal uh, issues the, uh, that. Uh, bishops, local bishops' conferences, would uh, ideally be the ones to take care of different doctrinal issues rather than the Vatican. So it's, it's, he's pushing this, um, the deliberative and the judicial power down the line uh, in order to have this, this sort of uh, Febronian uh, papacy. And yeah. that's what's happening. That's what he sees as the ideal of Vatican II collegiality and the role of the local bishops. So this is um, uh, an instance of uh, what's going to go on. You know, when we think about it, you know, uh, the Vatican II tore down all of Catholicism, but the last thing that they did not tear down was the papacy. If you look at the papacy of Paul VI and John Paul II, I mean, I'm, I'm, that's all in quotation marks, and Ratzinger, it was still a very prominent role and it still had all of, uh, to a great extent, all of the role that it had under Pius XII, as far as uh, telling bishops what to do and so forth. Uh, that was. This is the last thing to go. This is a big transformation of Catholicism, and it's it's a, of course, an essential transformation. And that is our whole point: is that Vatican II and its reforms have changed the Catholic Church substantially and therefore must be rejected, and, and therefore we must also reject the sources of this substantial change, namely the people who have perpetrated it uh, as being phony, as being bogus popes, uh, as just being intruders who, who don't have the faith and who want to impose upon the church a new constitution, a whole different religion. Uh, it, it is the only logical course to follow in analyzing this problem. For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to, brought to you this evening by Novus Ordo Watch. 
I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I am joined this evening by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Today, in the first part of our show here, we've been discussing the, the very deep stack of news since our last broadcast on Francis back in October. We'd like to remind you that, that Francis watches a production of the Restoration Radio Network all rights are reserved, and that any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. If you would like to gain access to using our material, please email us at mail at truerestoration.org. Well, Your Excellency Father, we had no shortage of, as uh, Father Chicada would call it, Bergoglian uh, attacks on traditionalists and the traditional Catholic faith, and started off with um, a rather peculiar uh, comment on the, the, the 25th anniversary of the, the institution of the Fraternity of St. Peter is sort of one of these damning by faint praise for their, their sensibilities and pe- <laughs> very peculiar, he says, that their mission to help implement Vatican II. I'm assuming both of you saw this article. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, How on earth? Uh, I mean, sensibility, was this... that... that... <laughs> Like sense and sensibility, or, or yeah. you know, is, is that a is that a virtue? Uh, it, yes, it, it is his way of, of basically giving them the breeze, uh, and uh, to say that they are implementing Vatican II is a lot of nonsense and garbage, because Vatican II had as its goal to destroy the traditional mass, and the it was only a reluctant concession. Uh, that uh, these people receive because of their, uh, you know, devotion to Latin and incense and vestments and so forth. Uh, but uh, when, I mean, we lived through it. Father Chicada and I lived through it, the imposition of the new Mass. It was brutal. And any thought of having the traditional Mass was, was anathema. It was suppressed forever. It was gone. And you were considered a, a dinosaur and an antique and worse than that, you were you were all sorts of uh, you were just part of that pre-Vatican II church if you wanted that traditional mass. So I mean, to say that this is part of the implementation of Vatican II is just a lot of garbage. That's all it is. It's it's a big lie. So um, uh, you know, but it sounds nice. You know. And all, yeah, the, always the, Vatican II. You know, see, we never get away from Vatican II. It, it all goes back to that. The uh, uh, statement. Uh, is actually is done through the Apostolic Nuncio. Uh, it's by way of celebration of the most sacred mysteries according to the extraordinary form of the Roman Rite and the orientations of the Constitution on the Liturgy Sacrosanctum Concilium. I mean, you know, that's ridiculous. There's a lie right there. Uh, uh, as if uh, doing uh, what they're doing uh, somehow is in line with uh, the, the Constitution of Sacred Liturgy, as well as by passing on the apostolic faith as it is presented in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which, of course, is a modernist nightmare. Uh, may they contribute in fidelity to the living tradition of the Church uh, to a better comprehension and implementation of the Second Vatican Council. So it's, it's, it's a... Um, uh, it's uh, uh, blowing them off and praising the Council. Yes. Yeah. Which is what one would expect. Sure, and I think it's also a little bit interesting that this is an organization that exists to essentially reject Vatican II. 
and but now, according to him, they are they're, they're implementing Vatican II. I mean, I I don't mean rejected in the sense that they're you know they're out there railing against it because they're very scared to say anything negative about Vatican II. But the fact that they exist and they want the traditional rites and the traditional you know the the traditional sacraments. I mean, this is this is kind of a joke to think that their mission is to help implement Vatican II. Um, and Bergoglio is precisely the sort of, of Stalinist liberal who have never permitted anything like the uh, fraternity of St. Peter. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Do you, you know, I mean, he's condemned organizations like this in not so many words, you know, the Restorationists, etc. So right. um, uh, it's, it's very clear where he stands on it. Mm-hmm. Father, uh, comparing, say, for example, the Fraternity of St. Peter with the Franciscans of the Immaculate, who uh, the story just came out that uh, 30 of the 33 traditional mass centers in Italy since July have been closed down. I mean, shut down, sent home, sent packing, no more mass there for you. There's only three, three that are known to remain. Do you, do you happen to maybe think this might be a message that he's sending through, through the nuncio to the fraternity that, hey, you know, you cross us and this is exactly what's going to happen? Do you see any connection Well, it certainly, there? it certainly seems to be the message that everyone is getting. <laughs> the uh, you know certainly the, that uh, people who uh, people in the, the post conciliar church who want to cultivate uh, and uh, preserve the old mass of course are are understandably quite uh, upset at this but uh, no that's definitely the message that this is on the um, uh, this is on his his, his uh, list of of uh, organizations that really should not exist. It's mm-hmm. like what Napoleon said about the cardinals who wouldn't go along with him. Cut off the head of a few of them in order to encourage the others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It goes perfect, better in French. Sense. It sounds a little bit better in French, but I won't. I'll spare you that. But the it, it, it's it. I mean, he's making an example of of this Immaculata uh, congregation. Really, it is the the burning of Garadini. That's what really <laughs> boils down to it is the burning of, at the stake of Garadini because these people you know, apparently share his, his views on things. And uh, so, uh, you know, he, he's excoriating the, the loyal right wing uh, of the Novus Ordo. It's really the ones that are getting burned in this. I think maybe we should explain about Garadini what the connection is, Your Excellency. Well, go ahead, Father. Yeah, he was a um, uh, theologian, uh, respected theologian of, of the Roman school of uh, a, a Thomas named Father Piolanti. And um, uh, Gherardini was uh, known to be someone of, of uh, very conservative sensibilities. And uh, he was uh, critical of much that went on after Vatican II, after Ratzinger had um, uh, talked in, in his speech to the Roman Curia about how there has to be a hermeneutic of continuity of uh, Vatican II between before and after, in other words, uh, that one must explain that there is a, a continuous teaching and practice uh, uh, between the uh, pre-Vatican II and the post-Vatican II Church, um, hermeneutic meaning, interpretation of, of uh, continuity. Garadini was the one who said that, well, everyone talks about this, but no one can show it. And he uh, wrote uh, at least one book about this, 
in effect, challenging uh, this idea and uh, hinting that yes, in fact, uh, very much there there was a, a rupture between uh, uh, before and after that can't be explained. Well, the Franciscans of the Immaculate um, published this book by Garadini, and uh, which, of course, it's it's uh, in effect an uh, an attack on Vatican II and on what Vatican II was up to. So uh, the suppression of the Franciscans of the Immaculate seems like payback time, mm-hmm. very clearly for uh, Bergoglio and his crowd. His critics, his modernist critics, uh, actually accused him of being a crypto-sativacantist. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for well, that's the worst thing just in the by world. asking for an explanation of how the, there is continuity between pre-Vatican II and post-Vatican II, as if that is the forbidden question. The, 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 we're not allowed to ask that, be, there, be, obviously, because there is no answer to that. It, it's, it's rupture. It's rupture. Uh, it's just like a Grand Canyon of rupture. And, and uh, that's but now he's being crucified for for having taken such a stance, and it's an example to everybody else. Now, and notice too, you know, this is like Nero fiddling while Rome is burning. Rome, if we can, you know, the the whole church is burning. It's burning with heresy. It's burning with scandal. They just arrested some Vatican official for money laundering. It, they, they, there was a cardinal has been accused of uh, making a. A sexual proposal to a uh, proposition to a, a Swiss guard. Uh, the the I mean, it's just the whole place is burning. Uh, the there are no vocations. Uh, everything is falling down and burning. And Bergoglio is concerned about the traditional masses in Italy. <laughs> with, with, look at the energy and, and the force. And the brutality that is uh, that is visited upon these Franciscans, uh, as if they are just the, the the vermin of the Catholic Church that, that uh, they're causing all this trouble in the Catholic Church, they, closing down their seminary and uh, forbidding them to have ordinations for a year. I mean, this man is brutal. I don't think that would have been done even under Pius XII. I mean, that's a brutal thing to do to an order. It's like killing them off. Yeah. Yeah, and, and yet he complains about vocations. Yeah, yeah. and it's all the conservative orders that, that are getting the vocations. The, the few vocations that are coming in the Novus Ordo are all the religious orders and groups that that preserve tradition to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, the nuns, the Dominican nuns in Ann Arbor, I mean, they're overflowing because they adhere to a great extent to tradition. Mm-hmm. But the ones that have well, embraced uh, Vatican II, uh, there was just the Benedictine Monastery of Nuns that closed in northern Pennsylvania. The youngest one was 58. The oldest <laughs> one was 92. That means the, the novice, she came in at perhaps at 18 in the mid-1970s. Okay. That was their last novice. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest are all leftovers from pre-Vatican II and the place shut down they just can't do it anymore well I think, I think this is a good time to move into you know, a little bit more of this, 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 this anti-clericalism this, this, 
this anti-hierarchical viewpoint. I mean, Bergoglio is interesting. He doesn't speak clearly on a whole lot unless he's condemning traditionalists or unless he's making moves to remove any remaining vestiges of traditionalism in the, in the church. And yeah, he talks about, uh, he gave a speech. This, this was on, I think this was on National Catholic Register Online, where uh, he, yeah, he gives this speech, do not let clericalism replace prophecy. He says, well, when, when clericalism reigns supreme, the words of God are sorely missed, and true believers weep because they cannot find the Lord. And, and it's just, you know, well, I hear is that what filled, and, Then why were the churches filled before Vatican II with all of that clericalism? And why are they well, empty they, now, now that there's prophecy? That's exactly right. Uh, they I mean, they were not finding the Lord before Vatican II? Well, apparently not, and and that's you know I, I was having a conversation the other day with a friend of mine who who I said you know if if you go back and read the documents of Vatican II you would think that the people were just completely and totally lost they had no idea what they were doing they couldn't understand the Latin they were totally they were totally unformed it was time for the church to push the big reset button so they could finally produce Catholics. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it's just that's the modernist you know, idea though. The modernists thought back in the 19th century that that the church could never survive in this medieval structure and mentality, that unless it conformed itself to modern thinking, subjectivist, relativistic thinking, that it was going to just flop. And right. uh, so they, 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 this, this was you know, very, very prevalent among the, the liberal clergy. And that's what they set out to do, is to conform it to the modern world. And they had this expectation that the modern world would fall all over it. Uh, and fill up the churches, and that everything would just be hunky dory and and beautiful in the springtime of the church because the they would go for the the painted hussy of Vatican II, the, <coughs> putting on the lipstick and the makeup of the modern world. Uh, they thought that this would be a, just a, a you know a wonderful thing, and it has flopped on its face. But these people are so prideful that they can not admit to themselves that the whole thing has flopped and that the, the whole thing is a failure. Uh, and they, they want to impose more Vatican II in the hopes that by giving another dose of the poison, somehow the, the thing will revive. And they have it's a just, dead body in front of them, and they want to you know, try to revive it. This idea that, that somehow leftover clericalism is uh, frustrating the growth of the people of God and is, right. is keeping their churches empty. Uh, that's the idea. And the, uh, the whole 60s idea of, of prophecy and speaking truth to power is all of this um, uh, private revelation sort of nonsense. And, and um, that uh, where you're, you're constantly, as they would say, raging against the machine, raging against the power structure, and uh, this is what he proposes, in effect, more of, and uh, that that we need this this uh, type of prophecy. Well, it hasn't worked so far. It hasn't right. worked so far, and there's precious little clericalism left. Yeah, right. Yeah. And one Find more. Cleric, uh, he's, he's usually in a pair of shorts. No. I mean, yeah. uh, the uh, no, there isn't. You know, he's living in a world that doesn't exist. The, the Novus Ordo clergy are not clericalists by any means. They're Father no. Bobs, and they have been That's for a right. long time. 
Uh, you know, he, well, he's living we, in the world of the '60s, where he thinks people are running around in cassocks and sashes, and you know, living in sacristies and lighting candles. He thinks that's the the the, the church that he's living in. The church is full of Father Bobs and and liberal nuns in, in favor of abortion. That's what he's living in. He has no idea what he's talking about. And in the United States, it's run by women. Right. The the of this, this vast. Uh, diocesan uh, bureaucracy and, and parish bureaucracies of women who are uh, paid in effect to uh, run the church and to run Father Bob. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, of clericalism is uh, absolutely absurd. Talk about tilting at a windmill. I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. No, it doesn't. The, 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 the priest has become a mere functionary, something like a janitor, in his parish where he is uh, told what to do by some woman in the chancery who keeps track of his finances on a computer and calls him up when when she thinks that uh, they're, they're eating too much food or something like that. That's, <laughs> and that's we're not life. making this up. <laughs> no, we're not. This no. is what I know to be true. And uh, that that's life for the Novus Ordo priest. I mean, there, there is no clericalism left. There is no authoritarian priest. Uh, in a Beretta and cassock and sash, that doesn't exist anymore. Of course, except in our churches. But if, you know, as far as Bergoglio's communion, uh, there, there is that's not, there's nothing left of that. No. So you know, he's he's living in the world of the '60s. He, he's he's been taught all these things to say in the 1960s when there were some priests in Berettas, sashes, and cassocks, and he's talking about this stuff as if it's still 1969. And uh, he's out of touch with reality, this man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we move to this, you know, the next story, which is yet another beating of the dead horse of clericalism here, where we, we this this just came out here uh, January the 4th of this year, where it was... It was announced by the Vatican Insider that uh, there was going that there was going to be re- the the restriction of the conferral of the honor of Monsignor and to to anybody who was under the age of sixty five, and uh, you know this is just one more step in that direction. I mean, I I, I don't know if they're going to have any sixty five year olds in the next twenty five years or not because they're not <laughs> there's not going to be coming in behind. <laughs> so maybe maybe this is by default. <laughs> Uh, yes, it's another way of democratizing the church. I mean, it, it's you know, there's it, nothing of divine law in making him monsignor, but there is something of divine law in the hierarchy of the church. There is also something in natural law to make a, a certain hierarchy of honor that you you decorate people like the military does for for service and and for various virtues and prominence. Uh, it's just natural. You do it in business. Uh, but to, to make everyone, whether they are great priests or just mediocre priests or poor priests, uh, live in the same rank is contrary to natural law, actually. Uh, it, you know, in the sense that it's, it's, it, it, there is no human institution that does that. There is always a hierarchy. And uh, the, certain priests obviously ought to be rewarded for... The, you know, exceptional service by by some sort of uh, distinction. So, so all it's, of these, it's another attack on the hierarchy. Yeah, you know, the, this um, all of these shots he's taking. As Bishop Sanborn says, you know, it's not a question of uh, this particular issue. It's not a question of divine law, but all of this this stuff is directed in the same um, uh, the same sense, the same direction. 
that it's against the idea of, of uh, hierarchy in the church and to promote the idea of democratization and um, uh, the demotion of the papacy and to uh, restructure everything in people's minds. It's like many rivulets contributing to one great river. All of these little comments, these gestures that he makes, these attacks, the, it's all uh, contributing to one great river of destruction. Kind of going back here, it, it, you know, we have we have one more story in this category uh, where, you know, we're hearing all these little barbs being handed out, and, and we'll we'll get to uh, kind of a huge compendium these barbs that Father Chicada has collected. But, you know, we're hearing him talking about, you know, the new priest that he's wanting and that he's condemning the old priest as smarmy and tycoon priest and priest wheeler dealers. I mean, he's really coming out. He's, he's, he's really coming out and giving his vision for the complete elimination of a rank that he wants nothing to do with. He absolutely wants nothing to do with them. He can't stand them. You know, he talks love, love, love all the time and, you know, loving the poor and loving just about everything possible. But when it comes to these priests who don't subscribe to his program, they're smarmy. They're tycoon priests. They're priest wheeler dealers. You know, they have a, they have a sourpuss theology. I mean, it, it's just, it's so obvious. They're sacristy priests who don't want to live around the periphery. That's another favorite right. expression of his. That, yeah, that, or uh, you have know, the smell of the sheep on them. You see. Yeah, around the edges of uh, society. Yeah. You know how how are you supposed to do that in a uh, upper middle class parish? Live around the peripheries of society. <laughs> you should feel guilty about that. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely absurd. I think of the the, the priests in my own parish in. Um, uh, Shorewood, which is a, a suburb of uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I wasn't from a wealthy family myself, but the, the parish I went to, there's a lot of uh, wealthy and upper middle class people. What, the pastor should feel guilty because there aren't drug addicts to work with there? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't, uh, the, these, uh, uh, again, this tilting at windmills, but there's, an, there's this, this uh, talk about ideology that's behind it. It's this uh, 60s idiotic ideology. Uh, that's what you're getting here. And you know, it, 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 it he comes out tycoon priests. A, a 1960s Latin American Marxist priest. Yeah. That's his world. And his world is, is one of living in a country where there, are, there is a, perhaps a 5% elite of super rich, and then the rest of the population lives in, in poverty. And... That that's his world, and his response to that is Marxism, to a greater or lesser extent, but Marxism, and and therefore the the priest, in in his opinion, has to essentially hate or disdain those who have the money and side socially uh, with those who don't have the money. So it's class warfare. That's his world. He does not know the rest of the world. He is not. Uh, he. he I mean, if he has seen it, he has not understood it. He, he doesn't know what happens in North America or in Western Europe. He, he is still living in the 1960s um, uh, revolutionary theology that he got uh, in, in Argentina. And, and so he, he's talking about things that really don't relate to anybody or, or very few people, a very small margin of people. 
uh, and, and you know, it's, it's, he, I don't see how anyone can really take him seriously. I think more into this vein, Father, do you want to take this one? Uh, you know, the news, this is just before Christmas, actually, uh, where Bergoglio named his, uh, you know, his shake-up you know, from the congregation of bishops, and there were some very, very distinct replacements that were, and also those who were taken down. I can think of uh, you know, Raymond Burke uh, you know, was taken out as the president of the Apostolic Signatura, which, for those who don't know what that is, the Supreme Court of the Vatican, he was replaced with, of all people, Donald Worrell. You want to speak about that? I mean, that's, that's, well, pretty, actually, that's a pretty big uh, statement. To, uh, um, actually, he was taken out, of not as, as the head of Signatura, but actually uh, Burke was taken out as a member of the Congregation of Bishops. Uh, as was a, another oh. Italian whose name immediately escapes me now, who had a similar reputation uh, to Burke, which was um, that of someone who is uh, quite a bit more conservative and quite a bit more uh, by the book. Uh, the press commented extensively on this and said that this was uh, a signal from Francis that he wanted a, a different type of bishop, that he didn't want someone who... Uh, was perceived as uh, adhering to the um, uh, to the, the uh, party line, as it were, on the uh, uh, different moral issues and doctrinal issues, but rather he wanted someone who was, uh, I guess, more loosey-goosey. And uh, he appointed bishops who would, um, uh, 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 to this congregation who uh, fell into this category. The Congregation of Bishops is the Vatican body that's responsible for selecting the bishops for different dioceses throughout the world. And that's why the, the removal of uh, uh, personages there who, is, who are considered more conservative was considered very, very significant. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, there and was another story the, that came... The, the I'm other uh, thing that I would point out also under this, uh, I think that conservatives are starting to, um, you know, the 20% we always talk about of, of uh, people who uh, have retained vestiges of, of the traditional Catholic faith, are, this is making them rightfully very nervous that he is, um, uh, that um, th- this is a, a real sea change. Uh, another interesting story under the same category was the uh, uh, the rector of a pontifical uh, uh, seminary in Rome uh, called Francis a figure of discontinuity. Now that's that's a code word again. Remember we said that that Ratzinger was one uh, who wanted to proclaim and wanted people to believe there was a uh, continuity. Uh, pre-Vatican II and post-Vatican II. But here this, the seminary rector is, uh, who is appointed actually by Ratzinger, is saying that um, Francis himself is a figure of discontinuity. And that is something, cons- uh, uh, that's con- uh, a uh, significant thing for those who uh, still do retain vestiges of the Catholic faith. Yes, they are really shaking in their boots. Mm-hmm. They are very dissatisfied. Well, I, uh, there, there was one uh, one Novus Ordo priest that recently said to me, we are in the hands of the enemy. 
Wow. He said that to you. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible admission. Incredible. It's, it, uh, it really is shaking people up. And you can see the uh, scrambling in um, uh, newspapers, for instance, like The Wanderer, um, which always tried to put a conservative and traditional spin on things. Uh, you can see the the straining, as it were, in uh, their articles, uh, how they're, they're uh, trying desperately to reconcile what uh, Bergoglio is doing with um, uh, more traditional ideas, but it, it, it really isn't working. It simply isn't working. Yeah, there was recently one where uh, an article about Lombardi, who was the spokesman for the Vatican, and how he was trying to fix up the comment that Bergoglio made, uh, I think, in November, talking about how children suffer. And one of the examples that he gave about the suffering of children is when uh, mommy's uh, lesbian, he didn't say lesbian, but when uh, a mother's girlfriend doesn't love the little girl, in other words, doesn't love the daughter of one of the ladies, the lesbian ladies. That this is this is causes you know sadness in children when mommy's girlfriend doesn't love me. You know, and obviously people picked up on that. The Italian press picked up on it a great deal, as if you know that's a little love nest, as if you know having having a girlfriend, a, a woman having a girlfriend and also a child is a little love nest in which there should be a, a, a love between the live-in lesbian woman uh, and, and the, the offspring, whoever, you know, however she had offspring, uh, that, that this is a normal kind of relationship. When in fact the little girl shouldn't even speak to that lesbian. She shouldn't even, uh, she shouldn't have anything to do with that woman and, and that woman should just get out. That's the kind of relationship that should be. But to bring that up, I mean, could you imagine if I brought that up in a sermon? Uh, that one of mm. the ways in which children are unhappy is if their lesbian live-in uh, girlfriend doesn't <coughs> love them? <laughs> could you just imagine that? <laughs> you have no congregation by the end of Mass. I know. Everyone would get up and walk out. They would walk out. Because yeah. the whole thing is disordered. The, the whole relationship is disordered. The, they, everything about it is disordered. Imagine yeah, Pius the Tenth saying it, <laughs> right? <laughs> no. I no. mean, the thing is that you have to, uh, if you, sometimes transposing these nutty uh, comments into a, uh, another historical context, you know, or imagine John Chrysostom saying something. <laughs> it's loose. The thing is, it, it, it contradicts the whole. It's, it's ridiculous, and it contradicts the, 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 the whole of everything we know about the teaching of the church. Uh, so, Indeed. You know, it, the, uh, so Lombardi had to fix it up, especially with the Italian press. And the, the wanderer picked that up, the, the, uh, the fix-up and the schmoozing of the, of the uh, whole problem. And, and so there's a great deal of that. There was, for example, the, the, uh, the attacking of the atheist. Remember the atheist interviewed him. Oh, yeah, Scalfari. And, yeah. and Scalfari, and published the interview. And the, inter the published interview was put up on the Vatican website, obvious, excuse me, obviously with approval. Well, then uh, Scalfari was attacked for having made up the whole thing, saying that he didn't take any notes, 
He didn't have any kind of recording equipment. He made up the whole thing, and then the 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 uh, the the uh, interview was taken down off the Vatican website. Mm. Because obviously, <laughs> I think that was the, there is no Catholic oh, yeah. interview, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because Bergoglio steps in it all the time, and and mm. his people around him realize that, uh, the way these things are taken, and they have to try to fix them up. But he steps in it all the time. Well, I think this is I think this is a good pivot to move into ecumenism. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us, you're listening to Francis Watch on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and I am joined this evening by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and Father Anthony Chicada, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio. Now, ecumenism, Your Excellency, is something you, you've spoken of quite a bit. There's a whole lot of material on the Internet. You've written a lot of articles about this. This is, this is sort of your forte because you, you you bring everybody back to this. Uh, when you did the super show on Vatican II back in October of 2012 with us, you said that you know ecumenism was the worst part about Vatican II. And so there's some interesting there's some interesting quotes here um, coming from the apostolic exhortation uh, that we spoke of earlier. And essentially, uh, Bergoglio made this claim, and then he was. <laughs> Ironically, he was rebuked by by one of his own Jesuits. Um, I it, it truly, you know, it it truly is shocking that he would make such a statement on Islam, and this goes all the way back to it. Uh, goes back to ecumenism. Paragraph 252 in, I think this is chapter 4 of the Apostolic Exhortation, the Evangelii Gaudium. He says, quote, Our relationship with the followers of Islam has taken on great importance since they are now significantly present in many traditionally Christian countries where they can freely worship and become part of it, fully part of a society. We must never forget that they, quote, profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and together with us they adore the one merciful God who will judge humanity on the last day. The sacred writings of Islam have retained some Christian teachings. Jesus and Mary receive profound veneration, and it is admirable to see how Muslims, both young and old, make time for daily prayer and religious services, unquote. No, well, they profoundly venerate. Yeah, he never sorry, read the Quran. He never read the Quran. It's <laughs> obvious. Uh, and again, this is one of his big problems: is the combination of ignorance and stupidity. And I don't say that, you know, to throw rocks at him. I say that just uh, objectively. The poor man does not have much of a brain, and besides that, he does not know what he is talking about. So he is both stupid and ignorant. I'm really, you know, I know that's harsh, but it is true. And he, and he manifests this over and over again. So he has made this apostolic exhortation, 52,000 words long, which is half a book, in which he makes all of these statements which are absolutely ridiculous and false. And he looks very stupid because obviously they are false. And this Jesuit says, now this is no traditionalist. This is one of his own order. I mean, he's a, he's a Jesuit within the Novus Ordo. And he said that the, the what was stated there is simply not in conformity with reality. We don't worship the same God. And, and that Jesuit said that the idea of God in, in Islam is quite different from the Christian God. Uh, he, um, uh, they vilify Christ uh, in the sense that they, they say that 
I read it myself in the Koran that it is impossible that God have a son. That's a that's a quote from the Koran, uh, and uh, they deny that he died on the cross. And the the Jesuit points that out too. And they don't have any veneration for the Virgin Mary. We regard her as the mother of God. Here they say there is no son of God. Obviously, she can't be the mother of God, so they have a veneration for her. And he pointed that out, that there is no great veneration for the mother of God. You don't find that in the Koran. That's not in there. The, the poor man never never picked it up. And he's repeating things again that he's heard from various people, things that ought to be true, things that are of ecumenical necessity, and are just not true. Um, and and uh, so he has really made a fool of himself. And this has never occurred in the history of the Church, where a, a Roman pontiff says things that are false and, and which proceed from ignorance and error. And I would have to add stupidity. That has never occurred in the history of the Church. There is no document where those things happen. But here, this, this apostolic exhortation is loaded with, with just, I mean, error, yes, but I mean, even, I mean, ignorant error, error that, that could have been solved simply by reading a book. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so basic. Uh, and uh, again, it's, it's almost pitiful. Uh, that that the, the you know the man makes a fool of himself, but also a, a fool of the papacy. I don't know if you have anything there, to add to that, Father Chicago. Well, <laughs> the uh, it really was uh, something to see this this Jesuit who is an Arab uh, who is an expert in in um, Islam. Uh, it was really something to see him calmly go through a couple of paragraphs of uh, Evangelii Gaudium and take Bergoglio apart, saying that, that uh, you know, this is false, that we adore the one merciful God, the business of profound rever- uh, reverence, supposedly the Jesus and Mary receive. Uh, he says, in fact, their teaching is the opposite, that the sacred writings of Islam have retained some Christian teachings. He says that this is the, uh, this is false, and the Quran is opposed to all the fundamental Christian dogmas. Uh, then he uh, talks about the, the statement in Evangelii Gaudium about the Muslims acknowledge the need to respond to God with an ethical commitment. But then he talks about you know some ethical commitment that the the, the Muslims have with uh, you know the four wives. And you can, uh, if a uh, uh, more desirable one comes along, you can get rid of number one if you know she's old and ugly, and uh, you can take on a, uh, you can take on an, uh, another wife. So he he said that, uh, uh, this uh, Father Samir said that just about everything that Bergoglio says is is uh, uh, false or wrong. And the the other thing that I noticed is that. Uh, Bergoglio also takes a shot at uh, traditionalists again, where he talks uh, about uh, fundamentalists on both sides. In other mm-hmm. words, the Christian side and the mm-hmm. Muslim side. You know, as if we're um, uh, we're carrying guns yeah. and blowing ourselves up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. it's uh, just ignorance from beginning to end. 
Yeah. yeah, and you know, Father, it didn't it didn't stop there. I mean, he you know, he also got into your relationship with the Judaism, and uh, yeah, he he said in two forty seven, we hold the Jewish people in special regard because their covenant with God has never been revoked, for quote the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable, unquote. And he cites Romans eleven twenty nine. Uh, you know that that goes right back to it. You know, we, we and there was. There was a quote, and in fact, I think Your Excellency, you put this in one of your seminary newsletters a while back when, uh, when you kind of did your, your forensic investigation on his, his conversation in, in the book with uh, Rabbi Skorka, where he said that uh, there is a phrase from the Second Vatican Council that is essential. It says that God showed himself to all men and rescues, first of all, the chosen people. Since God is faithful to his promises, he did not reject them. The church officially recognizes that the people of Israel continue to be the chosen people. Nowhere does it say, you lost the game, now it's our turn. It is a recognition of the people of Israel. That, I think, is the most courageous thing from Vatican II on the subject. Well, it contradicts sacred scripture. Uh, it certainly does. Bluntly. Uh, there are many cases in sacred scripture, and it contradicts the fathers entirely. Uh, it also contradicts Pius XI, who in the prayer uh, to, uh, to the Sacred Heart says, Once thy chosen people, quondam, that means in the past, formerly, thy chosen people. The only grain of truth in what he says is that God does not cease to love the Jews and will not cease to draw them back. And that, that there is going to be a conversion of the Jews, that's in Romans 11, that there will be a conversion of the Jews. So he has not abandoned them, but continues to love them. But that doesn't mean that their covenant is still it has any value. The, the old covenant has ceded to the new covenant of Christ. And, and Christ fulfilled the old covenant. The, the old covenant has ceased. And there are explicit quotations from uh, sacred scripture uh, saying that. I mean, you would have to be ignorant of sacred scripture in order to make such a statement. Uh, but again, these are things that need to be true ecumenically. You see, that, that, that the, the Jews uh, have some value as a religion, that, that the Jewish religion has some value in God's eyes. It doesn't. It's something that is finished and which has ceded to the New Testament. Uh, but you can't do ecumenism with Jews if you say, Essentially, your religion is non-existent. How can you do ecumenism? Uh, it, it, it's impossible. So you have to give them authenticity. And so, you know, they make up these things. It's, it's contrary to, to, the, to sacred scripture and to the fathers of the church, and contrary to what popes have said. And so the logical step to this is to have kosher catered dinners at the Vatican, right? Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's the elephant in the room. Is Christ the true mm. Messiah or not? There's a yes or no answer to that question. If he is the true Messiah, then Judaism is finished. If he is not the true Messiah, then Judaism is true. So why are we having kosher meals? If Christ is the true Messiah, then the, the prescriptions of the old law are finished, as St. Paul very clearly pointed out. That the Gentiles, uh, you know, ha that they are not required to to observe the Jewish laws, and that these things are finished, and and uh, so it, the the you know it's they're, they're talking around a big problem, and they're they're dialoguing over 
air and dust. There is a single question to, to be settled, is Christ the true Messiah or not? And mm. you know, all the kosher meals in the world are not going to do anybody any good. Uh, but they are trying uh, in a, in a, a way that betrays the the New Testament of Christ and betrays Christ the Savior. They are giving a, a type of license of authenticity, like a letters patent of authenticity to the Old Covenant, as if these people can save themselves without the Savior, can save themselves by this Old Testament which awaits the Savior, which a- awaits Christ, that they can save themselves and be right before God by observing the old law. Uh, the, if you look in, in moral theology, any observance of the old law is a mortal sin. Uh, it, is, it is wrong to celebrate the rights of the old law uh, because they are, by their very nature, looking forward to uh, a Messiah that has not come. So it is thereby an insult to the true Messiah who has come. I mean, this is the reality. Uh, so, you know, all of that, that silly dialogue that they're having is, uh, is, is not only nonsense, but it's blasphemous nonsense. Father? Well, that's exactly it. It's a simple question, as His Excellency mm-hmm. says, is, is Christ the, uh, the Messiah or not? And you just draw the logical conclusions from that. And uh, Bergoglio and company seek to paper it over with these ridiculous statements and with kosher meals. And uh, you can't. It's a refusal to confess something that's the essence of the Catholic faith and, and to pretend it's not there. It's also, mm-hmm. I would add, very uncharitable not to try to convert these people to the true faith, as the apostles did, who were themselves Jews, as St. Paul did, who was himself a Jew. Why are, uh, why are these people being told, well, stay where you are, you're okay? They, they should be, the church should make a special effort and always has made a special effort to, con- to convert the, the Jews. Uh, the uh, the St. Pius V required that the Jews listen to a sermon uh, in order to, to try to convert them. Uh, he didn't have much success, but at least there was a, an attempt to convert these people and, and to, to bring them to the knowledge uh, of the true Messiah. Uh, because God does continue to love them, as it says in, in Romans 11. He, does, you know, he doesn't reject them in the sense that he, he, he uh, just no longer has interest in them, uh, but is, is still loyal to them and wants them to convert, and it is the, the job of the church to convert them, to, to say to them uh, that, that they, they ought to uh, accept the Messiah. And, uh, so it's very uncharitable uh, to the Jews to, to let them believe that there is, there is something authentic in observing the Old Testament. Mm. Well, I don't want to get too too deep into the weeds here uh, with this with this apostolic exhortation, but I would just alert listeners that you know if you want to read what what totally reads as a modernist manifesto, read chapter one. Uh, there there are some really really cutting quotes in there for anybody who considers himself a traditionalist. They're extremely offensive. Uh, you know he continues to use these words like self-absorbed Promethean Neo-Pelagian. 
uh, and, and he continues to tru- truly attack anybody who, as he says, quote, uh, might remain excuse me, intransigently faithful to a particular Catholic style from the past. And in paragraph 95, he says, In some people we see an ostentatious preoccupation for the liturgy, for doctrine, and for the church's prestige, but without any concern that the gospel have a real impact on God's faithful people. Uh, this is, I mean, chapter one is filled with this stuff, it, and and uh, you know, if you want to read it, you know, we're going to have to move on from this. But it's something that, I mean, chapter two is, is you know, it's sort of laying out his his Marxist utopian world vision. It's not really much worth a read, but chapter one will will certainly resonate with traditionalists to see what this man's doing. Now, Father, let's go ahead and move into uh, if you're ready to move on here. 60s liberalism. This is, some, this, is, this, this is a theme that both uh, Your Excellency and Father have talked about since we began covering just about from the day of the, uh, uh, the election. That this, is, this is 60s liberalism. So what stories did you hear uh, or did you pick up on the 60s liberalism resurrected once again? <laughs> well, I mean, his whole liturgical style is a the, the way that he has the has his masses structured and so on. As we're back to the days of Paul the uh, Sixth, in the um, uh, to a small extent under J.P. Two and to a greater extent under Ratzinger, uh, you had a lot of the uh, old. Um, Liturgical furnishings brought out, different triumphant uh, pieces of music were used. There was more of a uh, an effort to put a um, conservative to traditionalist face on uh, liturgical celebrations that uh, took place in the Vatican. Now that's gone, he's uh, back to uh, um, Bergoglio has gone back to using the Paul VI type vestments. Um, there's this one white vestment that he wears uh, all the time. Um, the uh, everything has been uh, radically simplified. He's given the order that no ceremony apparently is to last any longer than two hours. Uh, that he um, doesn't. Uh, he, he makes a point of not singing any of the chants. Uh, and there's just a general. Um, moving in the direction of, of uh, low church, a simple 1960s uh, type of style. This is telegraphing a message, too. Um, while externals are not, the, um, are not the point, really, in the sacred liturgy, it is a, uh, he is uh, wishing to convey a message by saying this is all supposed to be simple and streamlined, non-triumphalistic, um, uh, modern, post-Vatican II, etc., and the idea of, of uh, restoring some of the old practices is something that, well, we really don't want to do, We're, we have no interest in whatsoever. Hmm. Okay, so... Kind of moving forward from this, uh, this is an email that actually you sent out uh, that I was carbon copied on. Was this 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 idea of Pope Francis's little book of insults? <laughs> and we have a we have quite a collection here, quite a list of these little insults that Francis has hurled in his writings and his speeches. And I want to want to say up front that I, I was not the one who compiled this. Um, right. Someone, I, right. I think someone in England compiled it uh, last month, and um, we just stumbled across it. 
and uh, it's a it was done in a somewhat tongue-in-cheek manner, but uh, I think may uh, make some very good points. Did you have any favorite ones of those that you liked? Uh, how about oh, Peter Stein I mean, Parrot Christian? <laughs> we're Parrot Christian, or uh, we were. Um, uh, we were. We have five priests in Cincinnati, and we are actually joking about each one of us uh, memorizing uh, six different insults and sort of seeing if we could find occasions to, uh, you know, hurl them at each other. You know, Renaissance prints and museum mummy. Um, but you get to read some of the, the samples um, uh, of his insults. Old maid. Fomenter of coprophagia, uh, which yeah, how do old maids feel about that? Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what insensitivity? Where's, where's their sensitivity? Yeah. But the fomenter of uh, coprophagia is the uh, actually coprophagia means the eating of feces. So that's oh. surely in, oh. in the the course oh. of papal discourse. This is probably the first time that's been used. Um, <laughs> specialist of the logos, rosary counter, functionary, self-absorbed, Promethean Neopelagian, restorationist, Pelagian, Mr. and Mrs. Weiner, triumphalist, liquid Christian, museum mummy, renaissance prince, airport bishop, ideologue of the logos, leprous courtier, that's a good one for you, yeah. um, and this just, <laughs> it, it, it goes on and on and on, uh, the different things that he said. You but, have uh, to sit and, and think about these. I mean, these are so poignant that he had to choose his words very carefully. You could not say these things off the cuff. I mean, I mean, fomenter of uh, coprophagia. My goodness. I mean, you would have to sit and think about a horrible thing to say. I mean, I mean, you know, if you translated that into more colorful language, for example, I mean, that's a pretty rotten thing to say. Sure. Uh, and what kind of a man is this? Where did we? Where did popes ever do this? I mean, popes spoke very frankly about heretics and and the danger of heretics and their bad spirit and all, but they never did stuff like this. And you know, he's Mister Love and Mister Kindness. I mean, look at this list uh, of of nasty, rotten things that he has said about people. I mean, how uncharitable he is. Uh, you know, and is this dialogue to call these people names? You call the people you disagree with to call them names. And one one of the things that um, I think should be pointed out is uh, um, all of these go, as it were, the insults go in the same direction against any anything that's perceived as uh, the traditional Catholic religion in one sense or another. Uh, you know, the idea of creed-reciting parrot-Christian, all right? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the idea is that it's it's uh, that the uh, recitation, the understanding of the creed, that this is simply to parrot things. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, the, uh, or being an abstract ideologue. In other words, someone, the idea is this is directed at any sort of clear theological thought. Or fundamentalist, mm-hmm. uh, that's another one. So it's all directed, as it were, against uh, the, uh, anything that is connected with 
tradition. And uh, you see that, uh, that's, uh, this whole, uh, is, that's shot through all of this language. Yes. Oh, it goes back to that obsessive hatred. That's the only word I could put for it. An obsessive hatred for the Catholic faith. Uh, that that the very thought of it makes him sick. The very thought of pre-Vatican II Catholic faith makes him sick, and he has nothing but uh, but a, a whole host of of vilifying statements to make about it and, and insults to people. He's a cranky old man, uh, and he's a nasty nasty old man, and uh, a very uncharitable person. One of the things that that it reminded me of very much, so I read, um, you know, extensively about uh, communism when communism was still around and how communist regimes uh, operated, how Stalin and, and the propaganda, uh, the, the propaganda organs of these different communist states operated, and these were the type of, of uh, uh, sort of wooden sounding insults that you would hear from communist party functionaries and you probably you still hear things like this from the the uh from north korea uh you know where they talk about people being capitalist tools and running dogs of revanchism and all this the the uh and uh, but it's that same uh that same mentality and as i you know maintained his he is a um, what one could call a, a typical 60s Stalinist uh, Novus Ordo liberal, mm-hmm. and the language mm-hmm. reflects it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your Excellency, Father, we have uh, we, we have one quick phone call here from a from a gentleman. His name is uh, Hank, and he's calling from Georgia. And this this kind of goes back to uh, the question about the shakeup of the Congregation of Bishops. And I I think his question here is. What if Francis gives all this power to the bishops and they decide to go against what he wants? What do you think? What do you think their fate awaits them? It's Hank. Is that is that sort of the answer, or is that sort of the the framework of your question? Yes, well, that's a real good question. Um, uh, and I think the answer is this: that uh, since he is a Stalinist liberal, uh, it's one thing to say he gives them power but he only gives them power to do what he wants them to do. And heaven help them if they do anything vaguely conservative or traditional. Yes. So, yeah. so in, in other words, he's, he's, uh, uh, he's pulling the strings. So, for instance, someone like on a lower level, uh, someone like um, Bernadine uh, it was uh, absolutely ruthless with anything that was traditional. Uh, you know, a true, true uh, Stalinist, and I think that Bergoglio will function the same way. What do you think, Your Excellency? Yes, uh, I think so. Uh, I think the, his whole program is more Vatican II, more Vatican II, and that uh, that the bishops are given power to give us more Vatican II, and if they cross him in any way, that they uh, will be chided, uh, they, they will be dealt with in the same way uh, as, as he has dealt with that Immaculata Franciscan group, that he will be brutal and, and forceful and, uh, and it will eliminate them in some way. Okay. Hey, does, that, does that answer your question? Well, right, the reason I asked is I, I read an article that the bishops in Poland wrote uh, were not satisfied or they were going against something that was coming out of the Vatican about genders and stuff like that. And I was just wondering if 
a whole group of those bishops or any bishops go against them, they would get slapped down pretty hard, huh? Is that that your feeling? Well, I I, I haven't heard of that particular uh, incident, but I, I think if uh, I think those who push against him uh, will get slapped down, uh, and okay. I think that that's the message that he intended to convey so far. But thanks for the tip on the question in Poland. I I uh, hadn't heard of that one myself, yeah. and it's probably something really to follow. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, well, thank, thank, thank you. you for your phone call. I really appreciate it, okay? Thanks very much. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Your Excellency Father, let's go ahead. I think uh, we're quickly running in here to you know, a hard wall here at the top of the hour, uh, which will be uh, two hours since we began. So if we do bleed over just a hair, uh, those who are listening to our live feed, uh, as soon as the show is over, we're going to continue to record, and then the, the show will be available to download from uh, restorationradionetwork.com. Uh, you'll be able to get it probably within five minutes of, of the show closing out. So just hang on with us, and uh, you'll be able to hear the very last part here. We, we won't go much over that. So let's go ahead and quickly move on, Your, uh, Your Excellency and the Father here. I found this article here to be uh, very humorous. Uh, this this came out on uh, on Halloween, where the Vatican damage control machine came out and said the Pope was concerned he could have been misunderstood about his statements that there was no Catholic God or that uh, you know atheists should follow their own conscience. And and uh, one of the quote was uh, or one of the quotes was, "Would you really believe the Pope Francis thinks that everybody can have his own idea of good and evil and thus justify what he does?" He asked. <laughs> Well, is that not what he said? <laughs> yeah. The problem uh, with rhetorical questions is sometimes you get a real answer. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, how else could you take the comments of Bergoglio? Yeah. Right. That, uh, you know, an atheist is justified before God if he follows his conscience. Uh, how, you know, that you can deny God. I mean, what, what greater sin is there than to deny God? But you can be okay with God because you're following your conscience in denying Him. Uh, it, you know, it, how else could you take that statement? Yeah. But again, it's a sign of that. You know, people scrambling around him to give it a hermeneutic of schmooze, and uh, in order to protect him uh, from from people who e- either ourselves or people on the right or people on the left. Who who take him at his word, yeah. and who who digest what he says uh, very very carefully, as we saw with the uh, you know Catholics who who decided uh, that uh, gay marriage was okay, because he said oh, who am I to judge? Uh, the, these comments that are that are taken at face value, uh, and so they they are. There's an obvious. There's been an obvious concern for many many years about continuity. And that, that is not going away. That is another elephant in the middle of the room, is continuity between pre-Vatican II and post-Vatican II. And there is a whole wing of people in the Novus Ordo establishment who are really concerned about this because they know the historical effect of discontinuity. They know that it, it is just a wrench in the transmission and and it, it it'll just make everything blow up if historically Vatican II is not perceived as continuity. So uh, it's just uh, I think another attempt uh, at at 
you know, interpreting him so that the conservatives will will feel happy. But Father Chicada and I were just discussing earlier that it seems that no matter what he says or does, that w- that the Novus Ordo conservative cannot be moved off of their position, that it is continuity and that everything's okay and that everything's substantially the same and we don't have to worry, uh, and uh, they they will not move off of that, even though there is it's staring him staring them in the face that there is radical discontinuity staring them in the face but they they will not move off of it they they will you know they, no matter what he says there is no catholic god i mean what else do we, what else do we need what else <laughs> what else can he say and, and uh, so you know it, it uh, it's a uh, these people sit and wait for these interpretations, which which are sort of like a painkiller for them, because they feel a lot of pain when those things come out from Bergoglio's mouth. Mm. And it's it's the the uh, discontinuity and the spin is is uh, you know perceived by people outside the church. One of the things that that happened a couple of months ago is that uh, there's I think a YouTube. Um, channel called Lutheran Satire, and uh, it's obviously, it's put out by Lutherans, and they did a, um, a little cartoon that was uh, entitled something like Francis or Frank the Hippie Pope, and so what you had is, is this cartoon figure um, in sort of a hippieish voice uh, uh, repeating some of Bergoglio's statements. It was a cartoon Bergoglio. And then you had the voice of uh, someone who had come on who is supposedly a Vatican commentator who would say, well, what the Pope really meant was this. And uh, the, 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 uh, the satirists like, repeated this over and over and over again. So it's, it's obvious even to people outside the uh, church who don't identify themselves as Catholics that, it's not a, um, that there is this discontinuity. Hmm. Well, Father, the, uh, the next, uh, the next, I guess Bergolianism here is is uh, he wants to mess around with his idea of the creed and the meaning, the true meaning of the verb "I confess." You want to? Do you want to go into that? Uh, Your Excellency, we were talking about that earlier. Do you want to handle yeah. that? Yes. Uh, the the uh, the. Well, there's two meanings to I confess. One is to confess the faith, that is to profess the uh, the uh, faith. The other is to confess, uh, meaning that you uh, confess your sins, that, that you acknowledge your sins. Uh, and uh, the... Uh, so he says, when we confess our sins, we renew and strengthen our baptismal identity. This is the true meaning of the verb, I confess. Uh, it, the, uh, in the creed, confitio una baptisma means I profess, I adhere to the uh, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and he is distorting the whole meaning of it. And, and uh, it's, you know, obviously another... Uh, step into the the mush of ignorance and and uh, stupidity. I'm so sorry to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the last story that we have on our list here, and this one I find rather peculiar because there are other groups that we know of that have been doing the same thing on PR and consulting agencies, but apparently Papa Poverty, uh, you know, the one who's always constantly talking about reverting back to a primitive and poor church who wants a church that is beaten, battered, bruised, and dirty from its work in the streets, he says that uh, uh, it's been revealed that the Vatican is spending millions and millions of dollars on PR firms uh, and senior uh, and appointing senior members of Opus Dei to figure out the money woes of several Vatican organizations like Vatican Radio, the Vatican TV stations. And might I add, I read that the Vatican Radio Network has a $30 million annual budget, which is, mm. which is pretty incredible. You know, when you think about that. So what are we to make of, you know, Bergoglio sort of installing a PR firm there? And by the way, I also found this was the PR firm that represented John Lennon. So <laughs> it sort of falls into place, doesn't it? Well, I mean, first of all, I would say that nobody needs a PR firm more than Bergoglio. Uh, I mean, he needs Money to well be spent. fixed up. 24-7. I mean, he, he needs a, a good image made of himself. Uh, you know, there, there's no PR firm in the world, I think, that could do an adequate job on him. The, the, uh, but, again, it, it's, it, yes, it's hypocrisy. We see so much hypocrisy with him. Uh, this, um, you know, it, it's humility on display, all that hypocrisy. Uh, and le- leaving the uh, the uh, diocese of Rio with a 39 million dollar bill after all of that uh, jumping around and, and playing in in Rio, uh, and uh, and now this uh, hi- hiring a uh, New York PR firm, uh, you know where is the simplicity uh, of the church? I mean here the the church should be absolutely simple. And and should uh, just be what it is, as, as they say. But no, he needs something to to paint it up and to make it look nice. Uh, and I think it's because there, there is uh, the, the the at the hands of the Novus Ordo, the Catholic Church has has fallen into a reputational ruin. Uh, it is no longer respected the way it was, even by Protestants before the Council. It, it, it is just a wreck. Now it is, uh, I was just talking to a Protestant today who is scandalized by, by so many things in the, in the post-Vatican II Catholic Church, but wants to return to tradition. He never knew it existed. Mm. Uh, he, he was a baptized Catholic, and, uh, but turned to Protestantism because of its moral stance. Uh, they, they, uh, I think that's why they need a PR group. Because it, it's a, it's just a, a big, it's a big mess. It, it looks like the Roman Forum. When you go to Rome, there's like a few columns standing. The rest of it is just in ruins. And that's that's a picture of of the Catholic Church today after Vatican II. There's a few columns standing. The rest of it is rubble. And they need a PR group to put up some sort of you know plastic or 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 cardboard. You know, paintings or something make it look real nice that everything is just beautiful and and in springtime after Vatican II. And the thing to remember too is that all of this um, is part of the program of conformity to the values of the world. I mean, the idea of a PR firm 
especially I think the name is what Mackenzie or something, which is and that's it. one of the biggest, uh, if not the biggest, um, the image consultants in uh, the world, it, uh, and the different uh, financial consultants that uh, they brought in, the different accounting companies and so on, is to uh, dress up. Uh, their faltering institution according to the standards of the world. But, but uh, you know, the true church really shouldn't be concerned with things like this, uh, that, that we should conform to all of these, these uh, uh, false values and false ideas of the world. It's, it's, uh, it's absurd. And then to pay for it and to profess poverty and uh, the church of the poor at the same time is indeed the height of hypocrisy. Yes. Could you imagine St. Peter going to some uh, firm in Rome <laughs> as a PR organization? <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, you know, yeah. or any any you know even recent popes. You know, in in the in the very area where the the church should be simple and clear and transparent, it isn't. In this case, they're going to put up a big show, just like the Wizard of Oz, a big show uh, of something that isn't. Uh, and they're going to pay a fortune in order to have it done, and that fortune could be given to the poor. Yeah. Are they going to tell us how much they paid McKinsey and Company to shore up their image? Yes. No, yeah. no, I don't think I don't think you'll ever get that figure. Never. No, we're not going to get that kind of transparency. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Well, I think unless there's anything that that, that either of you two would like to add here as we kind of close out, I, I'm I'm more than willing to listen. But I, you know, we've covered a whole lot here. And so if you'd like to summarize your thoughts on these uh, these two months beyond what you already have, I, I'm I'm more than welcome to you know, to give you the floor to do that, Father. Your Excellency. I, I would just say that uh, you know on all of these these points that uh, that we've covered on on um, issues of dogma and morality, uh, his treatment of marriage, um, the diminishing of the papacy, his anti-traditional, anti-conservative uh, stance, uh, and so on. It's uh, all is pretty much as expected so far uh, in terms of the indications that he gave us at the beginning and I think we can expect um, I think we can expect more of the same and more developments who, who knows what's going to show up uh, tomorrow on Vatican Insider with this guy Your Excellency yes uh, I think that he is as I said I, I think he has a very careful program set in place he's very determined uh, all of these uh, Various themes are going forward. Uh, uh, they, you can see the, the themes and the, the lines of thought and action in him and uh, the, the deliberate uh, per, permitting of himself to be interpreted in a liberal way. Uh, uh, the, uh, yes, uh, it's very clear to anybody that is willing to see it. Uh, and uh, I think we, we can expect more and worse in the, this coming year. Okay. Well, I would certainly agree with that, and, and we'll have a show here in, 
exactly one month from tonight, and that will be February the 20th, and I can only imagine what we'll be discussing by that time at the rate this is going. So, Your Excellency Father, thank you so very much for your time and being back with us. Uh, really enjoyed the program here this evening, and I'm sure our listeners are rather edified by your rather deep and insightful analysis on this. So we will talk to you next time, and may God bless both of you. Thank you very Thanks, much. Justin. You've been a prince of a fellow, but not a Renaissance prince. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Take right. care. Bye-bye. Good night. Bye-bye. Okay, we would also like to remind our listeners that um, our clergy spend a lot of time with us, and they go through a lot of these, you know, a lot of show planning. I can't emphasize enough how much show planning went into this show. Father... Uh, spent quite a bit of time outlining and writing and, and really uh, trying to surgically look at every single article that we talked about tonight. So it would be very charitable for you to make a donation to his apostolate. And, and you can reach Father Chicada at uh, sgg.org. That's the St. Gertrude the Great website. Or you can check out sggresources.org as well. And uh, you can pick up books. You can see many writings on many different topics that people may be confused on. And uh, Father spends a lot of time reading and, and uh, certainly writing. You can contact him directly at... at uh, Reverend Father Anthony Chicada, that's C-E-K-A-D-A, uh, 4900 Rialto Road, Westchester, Ohio, 45069. Bishop Donald Sanborn is rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida, and you can write to him at Most Reverend Donald J. Sanborn, 1000 Spring Lake Highway, Brooksville, Florida, 34602. And we'd also like to thank our show sponsor here this evening, Novus Ordo Watch. They do very good work over there, very busy, keeping track of all this stuff every single day, provided many articles here for, for the show. So we're very grateful to their sponsorship. We're very grateful to our listeners. So we'd also like to encourage our listeners to check out Trad Circle. Uh, you can check that out at uh, tradcircle.ning.com. That's N-I-N-G. And also, uh, restoration—excuse uh, me—True Restoration released a uh, conference with His Excellency uh, Bishop Sanborn that he gave in London back at the end of December on the the, the fundamental questions of setificantism. Uh, the title is uh, excuse, uh, the title of the talk is uh, the SSPX resistance instead of acantism. You can access this video become, by becoming a gold level subscriber at truerestoration.org. Uh, that's, that's a $60 gold level membership. And of course, if you're a platinum subscriber, you gain access to all of our video interviews, many with His Excellency, many with Father Chicada. So if you like what you hear on the radio, we can provide high definition video for many different topics that they have spoken with us about. So that's uh, truerestoration.org and go to the donate page and you can pick up a membership. The conference that Bishop Sanborn gave is just phenomenal. It's, it's getting a lot of good reviews. We've gotten a lot of positive email feedbacks on this. So hopefully that's something that you would consider and uh, we at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Uh, it means a whole lot. So if you have any questions or comments, you'd like to reproduce our work on your channel in some format, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a message on our Twitter handle, at True Restoration, or you can contact this show directly via email at FrancisWatch at TrueRestoration.org. So we will see you next month. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And for the Restoration, I am Justin Soder, and may God bless you. <laughs>